Hello, hello. Welcome to The Collectivist, everyone. This week, we're actually going to be doing something that I've been looking forward to, which is an in-depth look into capitalism and kind of the origins in which it came from. And I'm excited to kind of share the discoveries that me and Carpet and Cork have uh, spent a bit looking into with y'all. So hopefully you enjoy. In order for you and me to devise some kind of method or strategy to offset some of the events or re a repetition of the events that have taken place here in Los Angeles recently, we have to go to the root. We have to go to the cause. Dealing with the condition itself is not enough. And it is because of our effort toward getting straight to the root that people oftentimes think we're dealing in hate. We are oppressed. We are exploited. We are downtrodden. We are denied not only civil rights, but even human rights. So the only way we're going to get some of this oppression and exploitation good i'm doing pretty good you know living life out here in quarantine the best i can how about how about yourself atlas how are you doing there well i'm doing all right i've been enjoying the sun really out here um it's been a nice change of uh clouds for me so yeah but other than that just kind of been uh enjoying the spring weather so that's good the end of this Seasonal depression in the Pacific Northwest is at hand. Yes, the spring cleaning, as we like to call it. <laughs> yeah, so yes. jumping kind of into things a little bit, I know that um, you've been kind of studying up on capitalism and a little bit of like the people and the schools of thought of capitalism. Um, and then I know that I've been kind of looking into more of the history. So I'm excited to kind of talk about that with you. Yeah. And let me, let me just tell all the guests out there and you, I guess that, um, <laughs> researching the people behind the ideology and the economic idea of capitalism is like hitting your head against the wall repeatedly. You have all of these capitalists who have written the history and the biographies and the autobiographies for these people and you end up with just a ton of very biased information about their leanings and their learnings instead of gaining a very nuanced perspective on what that person was actually able to achieve during their lifetime and so you end up with almost the opposite of what you see happening to scholars like Karl Marx, where um, they end up blacklisted and taken out of economics classes because of their attachments to these ideologies that sprung up around their findings, where if you find people like oh, Adam Smith, the person who's heralded as the father of modern capitalism, he never even mentioned the word capitalism once, much like how Marx never mentioned communism. It's an interesting way how history has been rewritten around this man to frame him as the man who heralded in the greatest economic invention since sliced bread <laughs> and the market, which even learning about the market whole, let me just tell you, that is why this was like beating my head against a wall. You, you opened up Pandora's it's, it's box. so frustrating. Mm. <laughs> yes, it was uh, so frustrating. It's so frustrating to see that, like the, just the schools of thought. Very much so. And that's, you know, it's, 
it's one thing that you don't find in a lot of researchers nowadays anyway, as we're out there researching, I'm sure you didn't find many capitalists saying, by the way, as I am researching this, I am a capitalist and this is my perspective on history. Right, it's mostly just a, like, if you disagree with that, like, the bias is almost expected from everyone that's reading it. To not have, not to confirm their bias, that is um, in their mind an outside perspective. So there's no reason to credit it almost, I guess. So, but I definitely have found a lot of uh, interesting things. And so I was thinking we could kind of jump into the origins of capitalism in the sense of the decline of feudalism. Um, and so I know that for everyone listening, there is going to be terms that maybe you've never heard before, especially if this is your first look into the origins of capitalism or what came before capitalism, which is called feudalism. And so I think we would we should take a moment and kind of define some terms. That's always important. <laughs> yeah. So um, I know that I have found some um, cool definitions or like good ways of thinking about some of this, but uh, I was curious, what is like your understanding of feudalism? So feudalism from my understanding, differs from capitalism in a few ways. One, feudalism is less an economic system and more a governmental structure, while capitalism function underneath multiple different forms of government. Feudalism in and of itself placed itself, at least in its time and place, as an organizational structure of hierarchies among citizenship mm. there was a definitely an economic role at play force as in um the hierarchical standings between lords knights and the serfs which is another term that i'm pretty sure we'll have to dive into and describe it's not a very yep. commonly used word but yeah my my biggest understanding of it was it was a hierarchical system a governmental economic structure to um, create unity and structure within a society. See, yeah, you, you actually got you got a pretty similar like definition uh, to me, which is I mean that means that we've done some pretty good research then in that regard. Um, mm. I would say I think one thing that is important that you mentioned there is that hierarchical sorry hierarchical system in the society that they have and. I think that was one of the key defining points um, of feudalism is the use of what you were saying of serfdom, right. which a definition for serfdom that I was able to do um, is kind of the basis of feudalism is the act of having um, debt bondage and indentured servants. And that was kind of, it's uh, commonly used um, in the act of mannerism. Um, or how property was owned by the lord of the manor. And so serfdom really did hold together what feudalism um, like was, and that is this idea of having a lord or a king over a people that were all in debt to them. Hmm. Um, and so it was an interesting way of having that hierarchical system. One thing that I think is very important to point out right here, not meaning to cut you off at all, is about a little bit of the economic structure within that hierarchical system. How it's different differences and similarities confuse people because the fact that lords and kings had coins uh, in their lands is kind of <clears throat> kind of leads some people, I guess, the modern man, um, mm -hmm. just the average Joe, to kind of believe that there was some sort of capitalism inside of feudalism but more so was these existing market and festival structures which were the original two methods of passing goods around in societies and mm -hmm. if we want to go all the way back to socrates and pluto we could talk about what they think of market societies and the way that haggling was a was a huge detriment to modern society um, Socrates and Pluto were actually very, very much against the idea of markets because at the time of Socrates and Pluto, the current way of delivering goods among society would have been festivals in which mm. everyone gets together. I have extra wheat, so I keep the wheat that I need, but then the extra wheat that I have grown throughout that year goes to the festival and that gets split between my neighbors and everyone else in my community. 
as well as whatever goods has been made by everyone else in the community. Usually that was div divvied up by some sort of elder group or leaders in the community. So there's always been some sort of structure like that where goods have been passed back and forth, but it originally wasn't tied to any sort of monetary value. It was tied to these events. Then the market was invented, a place where people would go to trade goods with you um, and bartering was invented. And that was where people started mm -hmm. to get this idea of price and where the value of the value of a good comes from. Um, and then from this marketplace, you see that grow in feudalism. So while there were coins, the average way that a person underneath capitalism lives and somebody during the serfs uh, lived is completely different mm -hmm. underneath the sense that the way their work was scheduled out was there was a certain amount of work of the work week that was allotted to their own work and working for their own goods mm -hmm. and for their family and making sure that they were able to survive while the rest of the work week would be divvied up to the owners of land, like the lords of the land, the manors that you were talking yeah. about, or even the kings. And so there's this huge difference between paying taxes, which you see start to arise more and more out of the death of feudalism mm -hmm. and this idea of indentured servitude to the owner of land. Yeah, and I think that that's kind of interesting um, as a segue into the kind of where this started to fall apart. Yeah. And we can see that uh, through this. Well, so this like transition period that um, is going to come up here with feudalism and capitalism. Um, is not necessarily a short amount of time. Um, and so if we look at kind of the beginning and the end, uh, or sorry, the, the end of feudalism and then the beginning of capitalism, that's kind of um, the end of feudalism we see is around the 14th century. And that's when serfdom um, was pretty much uh, abolished or it wasn't allowed. Um, and that kind of in, especially in a Marx perspective, you can see that that's kind of a class conflict of uh, like peasants versus the lords or the hierarchical sta uh, status. Um, and so there was a success there, but then you end up with this empty kind of void um, as a lot of people in the economic a vacuum, uh, world, if you a vacuum, yeah, uh, like would like to say, like was created. Right. Um, and... Marx refers to this as an uh, in like an intervening period, and this it was kind of run by these independent um, peasant cultivators, as what as according to Marx. Um, and this isn't necessarily considered feudalism, and it isn't considered capitalism either, because there really was just this mass of the population that now were left mm. with no no one above them. Um, and they had all of like this land that they quote unquote owned and these people that still were technically in a weird way in debt to them or not in debt, but uh, were used to work for them. And so now there was this gap of product that uh, everyone still needed like food. Right. Um, and these people that had the uh, lands to grow the food. And so that's kind of where we see this need of what Marx calls the original sin, uh, where labor is, is forced, laborers are forced to sell their own labor um, and not the commodities of their labor. Um, and that's where you get see with this land um, ownership. And uh, that's kind of like that transition from feudalism and then that transition period into the capitalistic period. Right, and a very interesting thing about that point is how those who were in a place of medium wealth, a place of like the better off peasantry. So we're not talking about any of the lords or people who would have been affected by the death of feudalism, no one who was in a place of power from feudalism, but the people at the top of the people at the bottom, the people who had minute amount of wealth. When the rest of the wealth was gone. Their minute amount of wealth was able to exponentially grow really quickly. And so they were able to buy up all this extra land. And then as you're saying, I think this is just a very important point 
in the beginning of even before capitalism had fully been formed, you see this group classified as the yeomanry or the richest of the peasants start to buy up all of this excess land from the feudalistic ruling, these lands that would have been owned by the richest of the rich. And then using that land right. to create this great sin of buying other people's labor to sell and create their own goods. Right. And that's something that Marx points out really deeply is um, this act mm. of selling one's labor. Um, and it was needed because, as you're saying, there was people of different wealth levels um, in the end of feudalism that bought up this land. Um, and so if you were one of the poorer um, people in that class, um, you maybe didn't have land to grow your own food. And so you were dependent on, as you were saying, these worker-run like uh, mm. markets or these places for food, right? Um, and so the only way that you were able to provide would be to not put yourself into like debt bondage or indentured servitude, but this new form of labor in where they were right. to quote unquote pay you for serving and manually giving yourself or just selling your time and your, your work, um, without having any benefit mm. of what you're producing, um, or this, this, uh, this capital. And that's where we get this capitalism is, um, these, these more middle-class peasants that were in feudalism now owning these mass amounts of land, um, and then wanting to buy people's labor, um, and create, creating this like excess of labor that they have, um, as capital. And that's like that labor power of others, um, that are producing their products, um, to sell. Uh, and something that, um, yeah, so sorry. Um, what were your no, thoughts on I'm, that? I, you're just echoing what you're saying there. I'm. I uh, the see, it's just it's a hard time in history to describe because while all this is going on, you have all these small projects because at the moment or the death of any large. <clears throat> Uh, governmental structure such as feudalism, which took over the majority of uh, the modern world at the time, it's you you get this this time period where there are so many different smaller social experiments that are happening, and so it just while you're talking, just the whole thing that's running through my mind is just over and over again. Why did we have to have this experiment explode exponentially? But What's interesting is that explosion that you're saying is kind of what um, I found in Marx's like final um, encapsulation of this. And he says something that I find super interesting. Um, he's like, capitalistic society has grown out of the economic structure of the feudal society. Um, and he says that the dissolution of the latter set free the elements of the former. Basically, what he's saying is that this oppressive system of feudalism um, wasn't was like kind of contained in feudalism, and then once capitalism took root, it really set free that exploitative um, mm. system that was feudalism. Um, in a sense of the people with the wealth are, were able to pretty much do the same, but in a more grandiose yeah. style um, than feudalism. See, that's an interesting point because that gets me into what we've been talking about, and maybe this is off topic, but with the concept of neo-feudalism and with the rise of that where we are today. And, you know, I don't want to get into that too much, but just how when power structures tend to fall, the ultra-wealthy find a way. They find a way every single time. And it's almost like, I mean, yeah, just to continue down the rabbit trail for just a second, it's almost like the, uh, the ultra rich don't necessarily have the care to, to deal with the endemic doom of which is the world's like 
end ending um, due to climate change and like this march towards like destruction among nations that we are seeing um, the conflict um, because it's almost like they're so used to getting out of the way or like trying to escape it that they think that having that wealth is going to be able to save them in the end um, and they're going to be their own demise really mm. at the end of the day well and we're currently seeing that are we not uh, yeah i i just it's it's very frustrating when you look at the the goals of capitalism and it's why i have some sort of empathy i guess for socialists is the the goals of capitalism started at the same place as most of the rest of these social experiments um it, it didn't start in poor places like reading the works of people like adam smith um who by the way being marked as the forefather of capitalism is or of modern capitalism is actually like not a political theorist at all or even an economist he was a moral philosopher who happened to write a book called the wealth of nations um where he decided to look at what basically eventually became the idea of laissez-faire capitalism or modern-day conservatism, um, which is describing the problems with excessive state intervention and the personal interests of individuals. And that was coming from a place at the time from the problems with feudalism and with the ways that feudal lords had complete control over their serfs and the problems with indentured servitude. But the problem is um, all of these experiments get started and then they run across certain issues like the problem with the need for a labor force, the problem like, because there are certain projects that can't be done by specific people. Building roads, for example. You can't have one guy whose entire life goal is to build the roads. This is never going to happen. He's not going to finish a road, let alone the roads of how we have roads today. Some of those have to be large group projects. Um, right. But when you run across the concept of how do we get how do we get these problems solved, that is when these social experiments really get pushed to the brink. And I, I know, I don't know if I fully under I have the same picture as you do, but what I'm hearing you say is that um, it comes to two solutions. You either are going to exploit the people to do what needs to get done for the society, or you can have the people volunteer or almost like mm. it's just part of the culture to get those jobs done. I don't know if that's, that's what you're saying, definitely but that's what it feels it. like. You're that's definitely half of it. And you're definitely bringing, you're, you're bringing me right there. Here's, here's the big thing, you know, not only with big projects like that, do you have the option to either exploit your populace for, for their work or to come together with your populace to finish a project to benefit the populace. Um, this is one of the things that democracy right. wants to solve. If you have everyone get to, like, if it's up to you and me where we build the road, we're going to build the road in a different place than if we sit down with everyone in between where you and I live and we ask them what's the best place to build this road. And democracy was supposed to come in and solve some of those problems. Right. Um not only do we have problems like that coming into play, uh, we have the pro problem of do I sit down and talk to my populace about where to put this road or do I exploit their work and exploit the land to exploit where they live to move? And this is a problem from the beginning of the capitalist experiment that if you don't mind me going into a little bit, I'd like to cover how this has been something I've, I've seen over and over throughout history, we've seen yeah. with the capitalist experiment, this is how they answer this question. And this is one of the things that I find disgusting about looking into the origins of capitalism is when they come to answer the big questions that should be how we decide how to run our societies, like how these philosophies answer these questions. We give capitalism a huge pass. Um, 
a big example of what I'm discussing right here would be in Europe, or specifically Scotland, there was the Highland clearances of the mid to late 18th century. Um, this was mm. specifically to create land for sheep, livestock. Um, they cleared these entire values, destroyed clan society, and depopulated and, de er, and emigrated people from Scotland to create farmland. Mm, all in the name of that like, a product. It's it sounds a lot like what was going on with the Amazon rainforest um, earlier in I think what two thousand nineteen. That's, that's a really good um, recent example. I was even going to go a little bit farther back than that, but still more recent. We have the Tennessee Valley Authority that created dams and flooded entire mm, yep. people off of the Mississippi. It's interesting that you mentioned the. Uh, like the use of dams and the the forcing of people out cuz like that's something that we have seen multiple multiple different examples in the genocide of the indigenous people in North America which if you like I know this is a little bit mm. off topic of the origins of capitalism but we can't ignore the fact that <laughs> the founding of this uh, statehood of uh, the United States is uh, um no small leader in perpetuating this capitalistic uh, society throughout well, uh, the world that totally we know. You're totally right. We could even um, go back into why why people came across the ocean in the first place. And I, I think maybe that's something we could cover an entire episode about. But basically the America in and of yeah, itself that, is an example of something <laughs> like the Highland Clearances, the Tennessee Valley yep. Authority, or Amaz the Amazon Rainforest, like you're saying. Yep. Yep. I, I think like, again, well, I think this is going to be in a future episode is like this whole big picture of uh, capitalism and like the damage that it is upon society, humanity, society mm. and our world um, as a whole. Um, and so I think that's why it's really it's really sickening for us to look back into the history um, and see how like the red mm. flags were there at the beginning. Um, and we as a we as a, a species decided to continue it forward um, as the development. Whether that was the right thing or not, um, we could sit here and argue right. that all day. But here we well, are. And, and you um, know, here's the little bit of, I guess, empathy or sympathy we can give our, our ancestors all the way back that far for falling for these red flags is... They're not the first ones, and they're probably not going to be the last ones. They're most definitely not the last ones yet. Um, when societies or large governmental structures like feudalism fall apart, there is mass confusion. And, and, that, yeah. and that makes a lot of, like, it's just the, it's the destruction or the dissolution of the society of which that that area right. was run by. Um, I will say um, that capitalist capitalism in and of itself is a very, um, is rooted mm. in white supremacy and like the, 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 is rooted into colonialism and um, this, this, Europe centric kind of area era. Um, if we look, we, I mean, we correct me if I'm wrong, but this is from my understanding. Um, and it really gave rise to the development of that air, that area of land by oppressing, um, the, the, You're well, okay. sorry, I cannot speak right now. Um, there, if I if I'm catching you correctly, you're basically saying that capitalism started in um, Western Europe, and you know here's the thing, and maybe this is just the way I view the world, but I kind of think that part of the reason why capitalism is so tied to what you're talking about with white nationalism and with um, white supremacy has to do with its ties specifically to those parts of land and also to the history before capitalism of Roman imperialism and 
um, strict religious, um, oh, crow, M- not monotony, but just or conformity. Like we had the same problem in an earlier episode. Yeah, religious right, right. conformity. Thank you. Yeah. Um, the The problem is this is one of those things that I'm coming at in a case against the modern man is kind of this idea of these underlying stories that are constantly in play in our day-to-day lives so that we don't even remember the stories anymore. But the problem is when societies break apart like this, we reach back to those little things your parents told you. You know, when you're having a hard day, when you're completely broke, you know, there's always that little voice in the back of your head that tries to tell you um, something from your childhood about why you're not living your life right well. Even if that's complete bonkers and it's basically, it has no basis in reality, but it's the way your parents had raised you, it it still affects your day to day. And so when an entire society falls apart like this and people start to come together, little things that just make sense because they've been a part of the underlying last 12 societies of your land um these stories start to build up on top of each other and so you end up with capitalism being completely tied to things like imperialism because imperialism was already a underlying story or underlying narrative in these institutions that while they became torn apart the people who ran them were 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 involved in them in some capacity we're still charged with now creating the next mm. society. Which was a perfect tie into uh, kind of the tie up of the destruction mm. of feudalism and then the sharp rise of capitalism um, with what Marx is saying. No so thank you for that. Um, because what's interesting is the, like you were saying, the, the ties of the, the kind of the system beforehand into the new system um, really is shown in the sense that um, the events leading up to the destruction of feudalism was the abolition of serfdom. Um, and so Mark says that because the, um, the landlords were unable to maintain or reinstate the institution of serfdom, um, they responded to the predicament by abandoning customary in favor economics like in rent for their lands so these are think about your modern landlords right now um instead of just being like you get part of your house you get housing because you work for us or you are part of this institution of growing crops or whatever you do um instead of doing that they started carrying out the so-called primitive uh accumulation by stripping the peasants of traditional guarantees to their holdings um and reducing them to mm-hmm. commercial tenants or for agricultural wage laborers so you would have in order to have a house you'd have to either become a wage laborer for them or you'd just have to pay them like a commercial tenant um, and then this result was distinctive was the distinctive development of the agrarian capitalism in England, um, with this characteristic of a three-tiered relation among a large landlord, typically an aristocrat, and then you'd have a capitalistic tenant farmer who owned the land uh, or that worked for the landlord, and then um, they also generally provided the economic contribution to that. So. The, they had the money to obtain the land. Um, and then you would have the depos- the, the depos- okay. I cannot speak today, I'm sorry, but the dispossessed peasants um, that is now regulated to the proletarian status or uh, reduced to working for one of these two people um, in order to survive in this which society. Which creates a new hierarchical status, which is interesting how a society that declined out of feudalism, which was a very regimented hierarchical status, fell fairly quickly. I mean, the span of 145 years, that's about three generations, um, fell right back into this hierarchical status. Um, re- whether it be a slightly looser one with the proletariat, the yeomanry, and the landowner. Or, I'm sorry, well, I, I missed that third group that you included. I, I missed their name. Uh, yeah, so it was like uh, the three-tiered system, kind of. Um, this is before it was like a f- official uh, status of capitalism, but um, 
like a large landlord and uh, Marx describes that as typically ah. an aristocrat. Then there's the capitalist tenant farmer. Um, and then there was the proletariat. So the aristocrat, well. the human, um, and the proletariat. Yeah. And so you can really see really quickly uh, how this kind of perpetuated into what we have today because um, it's a very identical setup with different terms for everything, obviously. Um, but you can definitely see the roots of capitalism starting to gain hold there in society mm. in England during this time. Yeah, that's just a very interesting concept. You, you do, you see that translate through multiple time periods, but we have always figured out, or I guess the people at the top have always figured out a way to keep this hierarchy running. In a sense, it's like society as a whole is a game for that. And uh, capitalism is just a game of corruption. And so the corrupt, the most corrupt will rig the game in their favor in a, every time. Um, it, it's a, in their mind, it's a sense of protection. Um, and so that's why it's super frustrating to read this is because it's, it's the perpetuation of the few uh, from the, it, to the expense of everyone else. Um, and so I think that's going to tie into our future episodes of why we see uh, the capitalistic society that we have today, which is so drastically um, extreme in wealth disparity. Um, and, and, and now we're seeing a much sharper rise in class. Uh, there's... There, class divide yeah. almost i would say like there's a class solidarity but also it creates this uh conflicting storm that happens well, as we'll see um, see that's a whole other but, topic we could talk about the way that the working class has been divided against each other um in a whole other episode too but like i just gotta say atlas you're really bringing me and i, I really hope the guests aren't feeling you got me down this whole conversation on capitalism, I'm feeling after this. I think I like we gotta end it. We gotta end. It's a this heavy topic. We gotta yeah. end on the up note here. Let's provide an example. Um, so of yeah, that's absolutely. At least positive, I mean, so, you know, well, not positive out of about capitalism, capitalism, but like at least that there's some hope that capitalism is in a system that we're completely stuck in, or human hierarchies isn't something to avoid. You know, like yeah, undergone. No, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a perfect example. <laughs> and I am so glad you brought it up because I've been excited to hear about this. Um, and that, from my very rudimentary understanding, is a one of the longest running worker uh, co-op. Um, was it a market that you taught? Like, I, I don't explain yeah. it to me like I'm brand so, new here. I would love to hear a little Mondragon bit about this. It's super exciting. Or cooperative, or it has had many names since 1956, but they're all basically Mondragon co-op, cooperation, cooperative, something along those lines. Um, you can go look them up. They uh, have a very long and dedicated history page from themselves. I actually found out about their work from economist Dr. Richard Wolf. Um, also somebody who you can go find some of his lectures and, um, I bet if you type in Dr. Richard Wolf Mondragon Cooperative, you will get to find where he has mentioned them and discussed their, their example of worker co-op as a good example of where, uh, corporations should start to move for, towards. Um, and it's this very interesting story to mm. kind of condense 70 years of history into not that long of a conversation. Um, it started as this fairly simple brick corporate or company in the Vatican and quickly rose uh, in a few years to incorporate um, education and training of all sorts into their model, um, basically to allow people who were working with them to further grow as individuals grow in whatever way they pleased to um, help the cooperative. And from that, you have seen 
they're still around today. They are one of the seventh largest corporations in in the Vatican, and they're so renowned for their work in medicine and science that um, American companies pay to send some of their employees to go work with people in the Mondragon Co-op because the work that is happening mm. there is so widely renowned as being like cutting edge. So you don't really think you. Uh, I mean, it's almost it's almost like that is a better system than the one that we currently have. I mean, I don't know. You but know. <laughs> maybe it's the bias well, coming out. But and the interesting thing as we talk about the decline of feudalism and where we're at today and good examples like like the Mondragon Co-op is with the current world pandemic and some of the 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 players at play right now in the markets of the world we're at this weird turning point where there is very likely going to be opportunities for people to reinvent the way their communities are working together. And plenty of young people mm -hmm. who are being turned on to this idea. And if the next generation of business really does start to become more worker co-op accessible and more, more leaning towards each individual in a healthy manner instead of this individuality that we push in America, which is actually more of this conformity at the same time of individuality, which is just this huge mess that really makes no sense to the outside eye. But it's built that way. It's, it makes no <clears throat> sense because you live inside of a world that is so deeply connected to one another that it's impossible to pull yourself out of the right. system in which you are in. You know what I mean? Um, I will say what you're mentioning about looking bigger and like these worker-owned co-ops is reminding me an awful lot about a conversation we were having earlier about, you know, start talking about creating more of these open-owned or owned yeah. farms almost in a sense, like in these uh, city spaces where uh, your community, quote-unquote community, can uh, survive yeah. off of these farms, right? Um that's a bigger that's a bigger picture, obviously, but still, like um I think we've seen small examples of that, especially from the rise of mutual aid and the protests around uh um Black Lives Matter and stuff like that as well. That's a different topic. But you can see that there are ways that people are already changing how how we operate as a society in a more right. local sense. Um and I think that that is actually really like that's a really promising of the work that we are trying to do, which is uh, at the end of the day, bring about um, a better world for everyone, which is liberation right. for all. And uh, that that can't that can't happen under capitalism. And so, as we continue to fight against that, I think there's a a lot of hope for well us said, to be well looking said. forward to. I hope that. I, you know, that's, that's one of the goals I see for us out there, you know, as, as the collectivists, as we're such a small team now, and as we continue to grow, um, we be more focused on the people who are, are inputting work into the collectivists and focusing on making sure that they are mm. well taken care of and that they're also doing the work that is good for them and helpful. And like, it's what they want to be doing and is benefiting them as a, as a well-rounded individual. And I, I do hope that, oh, absolutely. you know, the best thing we can do, we can sit and talk all day. And sometimes people on the left are kind of thought as being depressed when people look at us from outside of our circles. But like, there's just this air of negativity that arises when you're looking at everything that's wrong in the world. But the only thing you can do to make that positive is to continue trying to make it better. Like we are. And, most everyone I know is so. Yep, that's always good. A continuation of a be, of the uh, the betterment of our world is mm. is very important. Um, and so, yeah, I think like um, especially with the collectivist and the people that are the work that they're doing, um, I think we've seen already a large uh, rise of people um, that are waking up and realizing, like you know, the system. The system is fucked and uh, I'm tired of it. 
you know, and and people are getting more and more ready to start making those actionable changes in their community. Um, and I think that that is something that is really empowering and really cool to to see for sure. So, yeah, but with that, that kind of like wraps up our um, little in little look at uh, feudalism and kind of its decline into what now is capitalism. Um, and I think we hit um, a lot of not necessarily fun points, but important points um, kind of to set up the history of capitalism. And I know that this is going to be a series at least um, for a couple more episodes because capitalism and um, the role that it plays in our lives is <laughs> uh, very widespread. And so there is a lot to talk about. Um, but also, like we said, this is this was a heavy episode, um, and so uh, uh, we're not we're gonna try to keep it light um, in between some of these heavier episodes. So um, don't worry; it's not all gonna be doom and gloom. Um, right? I can yeah, promise and that. And capitalism <laughs> is one of those things that it, there is. It's such a large and pervasive factor in our lives. We definitely couldn't cover it in an hour long conversation. So it's definitely something we'll be hitting. For quite some time. <laughs> yeah. Is there any last thoughts you, you know, got there um, for us? Other than it's always important for each of you out there listening to go spend some time researching this on your own. Please don't just take anything anyone says, especially not us. It's it's very important for you to go out there, check the work, cite the work, make sure you're reading credible sources. Um, make sure that you can understand the facts that you're reading and where they're coming from, because there is a lot of false information out there. There are a lot of people out there trying to mislead you. And it's always a bad idea to just take what anyone is saying at just face value. Um, some great examples for you. If you just would like to take some time to go listen, especially if you're on the go and you're sitting here listening to this kind of audio already, obviously you have some time to uh, plug in those headphones and listen to a little bit of audio. I'd highly recommend go looking up Dr. Richard Wolff. Uh, he's a Marxian economist who does a great job explaining the history of capitalism and just some of the ways that maybe we can move forward. So that, that's kind of my last word. Awesome. Well, it was a great conversation. Thank you for having it with us. Um, can't wait for next week's episode. Um, and always, as always, y'all, uh, stay dangerous and solidarity. Bye. I woke up on the wrong side of bed. Rolled over under false pretense, but all my notifications on red. I'll get up when the God knows when. I'm tired of talking to people I just met. Maybe last weekend, I used to have friends, lots of them. Turns out we were only playing for pretend. But then I'm left conversing in this conversation. So easy to abandon when everything I say offends. I'll just put down my pen, but then you're upset. That you didn't reply to a text, better left unsaid. I'll just cover my head in the blade separable. Then it's back to bed up in my crib. Before I step outside, my whole life was spent. Cause no one listens to warning the cupboard kept out of the sun. Maybe he has a mental condition, or maybe a psychedelic premonition. I'm just saying it's a fun. All you did has been undone You care most about the ethereal stuff And everyone else just missed it as fluff It's clear you finally been outdone The demons in your head have you outrun Your mind's a mess and your hands are guns Your parents don't recognize their own son Maybe it's time this man come tries to grow up I see new people, I walk
walk right past them no interactions at most mere glances then it's on to the next intersection and by that i mean life i'm just trying to avoid the strife past the pipe don't forget the light you can make my night you seem all right but the problem is the tension on the strings in my mind are strung very tight the tension can span from heavy as fuck to extremely light past the darkest corner to extremely bright so it feels right to induce fright or flight every single time i meet someone even a little bit nice I'm feeling a little lost today, like a ghost in the clouds today, but I'm a little bit more like Mowgli, raced by the bears and then I'm so lonely now. I went to visit the town, there was no one around, all the people left now, it's a ghost town, kinda like in my mind. I'm feeling a little left behind, maybe I should have stayed behind and prayed what was right, then someone would have come along and found me. Now I'm just surrounding myself with astounding emptiness and frowning. My life was abounding. My life was abounding. Hey, maybe you can be my savior, but I bet I could make a wager that both of us know that you're no savior. So I'd rather try to make your night one time than fly away to try today to find my own peace of mind. It might be a stretch, but I'm fresh at the deck and I'll be even fresher, I'll bet, after one more bout in bed. I thought I finally saw a sign, turned out to be a fly, next to the spot on the wall that always draws my eye. You know the one I'm talking about, right? I mentioned it a thousand times, through a thousand bowls and a hundred lines, and I tell you I can make it go away, but this makes this too serious for me, and you know how prone I am to flee. So for your sake and mine, I'm not sure if I'll ever be able to say my piece. For the love, for the love, for the love, I think I've had enough. For the pain, for the pain, for the pain, just make it go away. For the love, for the love, for the love, for I think I've had enough. For the pain, for the pain, for the pain, it's all in my brain. For the love, for the love, for the love, you've made this extra rough. For the pain, for the pain, for the pain. Mind. 